The Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. <laughs> Listen, Diane, don't talk to me like that. I'm not your fucking maid. I've had enough to hear. You may not like the fact that I've taken Karen's place, but that's the way it is. I could give a shit whether you take Karen's place or not. If you don't feel right for the part, that's your problem, not mine. I do my job, period. Well, apparently you don't. Je peux passer pas tout à la fois. Désolé. Je suis là depuis 7h30 ce matin. J'ai un dossier à préparer. J'ai besoin des éléments que je veux sur mon bureau. Hey everyone, it's another Loose Cannons podcast coming at you. Just made some finger guns. You can't see that, but. You can feel it. Yeah. I made finger fucking cannons. You know that they're there. Uh, If you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you've already recognized all four of our voices. It's the original crew. Back again, me, Ruben, obviously, your host, and Patrick, Basil, and Ilya joining us as well. Say hello. Hey. Hello. Just just jumping on board. Just, Just hanging on. Here for the ride. Um, today we're going to be discussing a movie called Demon Lover from 2002, directed by Olivier Assayas, which was a Basil pick. But before we do that, let's do this little segment we like to call Heralds and Denouncements. Boop a doo! Wow. <laughs> um. Okay, well, I am going to herald, um, I saw a movie yesterday that I really loved, but I'm actually going to hold off on heralding that, because at this point, it's almost certainly going to end up on my end of the year list, so um, I'm instead going to go back a little ways and herald a movie called Enter the Dragon from 1973, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, perhaps the most famous martial arts movie in the history of martial arts movies. Um, I think everything, you know, the, the whole mythos surrounding Bruce Lee as a, as a fighter and as a just screen presence is deserved. And, uh, I really find just a lot of the construction of this movie to be super fun. Um, I really love Lalo Schifrin's score for it. I... I love all the like backstories for the characters in it. Um, you know, there's some, there's a little bit of, you know, exotification going on um, that I think is not like more than like seventies level of like, Oh, we've kind of never seen this before in the West or whatever. So, you know, I, I give it a little bit of a pass on that. I'm just like, that's fine. It's not, that doesn't like dwell on it too much. And uh, yeah. It's it's a really fun, really awesome martial arts movie, and I just I just could not stop smiling while I was watching it. 
that I was like, this movie is amazing. Nice. Yeah. Robert, what's his name? Robert Close. Who directed it? Close, yeah, close. Yep. I do not recommend Black Belt Jones, which he also directed. (laughs) Oh man, I've uh, I've only seen Black Belt Jones two. Actually, I haven't seen the first one. Two is pretty bad, also. (laughs) Weirdly, I for some reason I I was like renting a bunch of uh, kung fu movies to watch, uh, like several it was almost a decade ago now at this point i guess but mm-hmm. for one for some reason they had black belt jones 2 and not black belt jones 1 so i went with that nice uh, did it still have jim kelly in it yeah yep okay Reprising. it wasn't like a triple x situation <laughs> where they replacing... <laughs> no they didn't replace it with ice cube <laughs> All right. Um, well, the only thing I ha- uh, would want to herald is also likely to end up on my best of the year list in almost 12 months. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, so I will uh, go ahead and denounce and herald something because it's an omnibus movie called uh, Revolution that I watched um, which is like uh, 10 short films for um, uh, made in 2010 to sort of um, I guess pay sort of homage to the Mexican Revolution of 1910 and so they got 10 different filmmakers to make uh, movies just sort of uh, uh, based on what they thought about that. And so some of them are extremely bad. Uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, uh, who produced the movie, um, he directs the segment, as does Diego Luna, and they're both pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, the, um, the Diego Luna one is like a sort of like upper middle class guy in Mexico uh, gets disenfranchised with his life and tries to go and live on the beach uh, by himself, abandoning his family, but then he sees like a bunch of poor people in the town who like work at the restaurant that he eats at and how loving they are with each other and their family and it makes him miss his family and go back to them and <laughs> it's really <laughs> cheesy and on the nose and uh, Maybe they directed and... the movies as their characters from Ichimama Tambien, and so ironically, they're actually good movies. Because <laughs> 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 their characters in Ichimama Tambien are bad people. That's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I mean, there's even like a weird amount of like sort of exotification and like. Uh, kind of like colorism within the movie where the upper middle class guy is like, you know, clearly like a pretty like light skinned, like Spanish heritage guy. And like all the people that inspire him are these kind of like, you know, more brown skinned, indigenous looking poor people. And I was like, this is gross. I don't like this at all. And uh, so that one was probably the worst one. 
And then the best one was uh, by Carlos Regadas, who did um, Post Tenebrae Lux, which I have not seen, but uh, I want to, and I want to even more now, because uh, his short is just kind of this, like, wildly constructed documentary where he went into, like, a small town and just filmed the day they were celebrating the the centennial of the revolution, and so it's like a... um, town with, like, pretty clear, um, like, economic divides where people will be sitting next to each other and you're like, until I figured out that I was like, oh, this must be just, like, the whole village, like, hanging out for this centennial. I was like, how do these two people know each other? One of them looks, like, clearly, like, very, very well off and the other one looks, you know, like, extremely poor, but uh, they're all just drinking and... Uh, throwing things around. There's, like, at one point, um, some luchadors riding around on horses, and, uh, (laughs) it's just, um, it's a whole lot of fun. It it culminates in them, uh, taking an abandoned car and setting it on fire, and everyone cheering. But, uh, yeah, so he manages to use, like, kind of, uh, strange sound design and like pretty rapid editing where the camera's like whipping in different directions and then people talking to the camera and then other people talking to the camera people being like oh i'm glad you know i'm i'm done filming for the day so i'm gonna go drink and stuff like that and just (laughs) like (laughs) incorporating the crew within the movie uh it's very enjoyable seven minutes that's very strange and sometimes off-putting, but, like, feels like it creates kind of, like, a um, a whole lot of different emotions and feelings within a short period of time, and I feel like that's something that uh, sort of is emblematic, I'm sure, of Regatus's feelings about uh, Mexico and where it's headed, but uh, I think that's a tough thing to pull off in a short period of time. Indeed. I think no phrase is perhaps more indicative of fun than luchadors on horses. (laughs) (laughs) That just sounds like too much fun to me. It's true. All right, Ilya. All right. um, I'm going to denounce a movie that probably will make my worst of list at the end (laughs) of the year. Um, Movie by the name of The Founder, starring Michael Keaton. (laughs) Um, it's, uh, I'll not go into too much detail, uh, might say that for the end of the year podcast, but generally it's a pretty sentimentalized version of like the joys of entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism, (laughs) um, and, uh, like how American that really is and how, you know, how great ideas can get corrupted but you know that at the heart of it all is just this endless desire to be you know great and to like to like transcend your own shortcomings through like a great business idea and through persistence and the movie has like some issues with like its own depiction um with the way it depicts like predatory capitalism but it's depiction of what like mcdonald's used to be originally was 
is just such a like glorified, <laughs> um, like uh, real America type of like um, bread and butter capitalism, which mm-hmm. is like supposed to be really endearing, and yet can't help but feel look like kind of pathetic and and stupid because <laughs> like in the end like what Keaton's character is doing is just like the logical conclusion of what the other guys are supposed supposed to do and yet they are like portrayed as being these like adorable two like love lovable lads from San Bernardino who came up with this great, cool kitchen, fast kitchen idea for McDonald's. <laughs> and like, then this mean guy came and like transported it to the rest of the country. Um, and I mean, I've come kind of dumbing it down right now, but like, it's just the feeling that I got was that this was like pretty, um, pretty haphazardly made and not very thoughtful uh, retelling of like the most successful business probably the U.S. has ever had. Um, and like it's just like it, it kind of lacks like the story itself would be interesting enough to just like actually comment on um, capitalism in the U.S. in general. But it the way it does it is really like simple and I mean, Michael Keaton's performance is also really bad. Like <laughs> he just kind of looks like he has a lot of the eff- like affects of like his role in Birdman, but without an inch of the self awareness that that movie had. So it's just like this like please give me my Oscar already kind of drama ready fit drama role. Right. And yeah, sounds like another film. It's a bad argument for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like The Purge 3. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was talking to my boss about this movie, and he was like, once I found out it was from the same director as Saving Mr. Banks, I knew everything I needed to know about it. <laughs> yeah. And The Blind Side, apparently. <laughs> or, or the writer from The Blind Side. I don't know, mm. one of those two things. But, Yeah. That that's like a similar story. That's just the shtick is like, yeah. ah, here's people who, you know, have an idea and then somebody else comes and takes it away. <laughs> yeah. Nick Offerman is also in that movie and will probably might end up making my worst supporting actor <laughs> <laughs> of the year. Poor it's Nick. Too bad. Poor Nick. I like really I kinda like him too. Mm-hmm. Like it's just painful. Anyway. Um I've watched four movies since we last met. Uh, one was Resident Evil, the final episode, which I felt pretty similarly to Patrick. Another was 20th Century Women, which I'm holding off talking about um, because Basil wants to see it. and We tend to not tell each other if we both want to see a movie, what we thought of it, how the other has seen it. And then I did two rewatches. Uh, one was Chirac, which I felt the same about as I did last time so if you're curious about my thoughts on that you can listen to the denouncements of 2015 and then Snake Eyes which is a movie that I still really really love quite a lot but um, also don't really know what to say exactly why I like it especially compared (laughs) to other De Palma movies which I tend to think are either okay or bad Um, so I am going to denounce 
Kevin Durant's MVP speech. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some of you may know that I'm a Oklahoma City Thunder fan. And uh, when he decided to leave the Thunder, it didn't really change my opinion of him or the Warriors um, of the teams who could win a title this year. I guess I'm sort of rooting for them to win. But I've sort of slowly realized over time with how many things he said since he went to the Warriors that contradicts things that he said when he was with the Thunder, that he's kind of a big phony. And uh, the the emotional display that he put on when he was giving his MVP speech, especially about the city of Oklahoma City and his feelings towards his teammates, uh, I just don't think that he could have changed that much in three years. I think he just you know, plays to an audience. And yeah. the thing that I really used to accuse LeBron of, but now I actually find LeBron to be like a pretty genuine upfront person. I very much enjoyed his uh, clap back against Charles Barkley recently. Yep. <laughs> so, um, Warriors, you know, you're doing real well. If you win a championship, I'm not going to be upset about it or anything. I wouldn't root for uh, Cleveland over you who's the most likely competition but yeah Duran he's a phony yep (laughs) well still got Westbrook yeah who's the complete polar opposite and (laughs) no he's uh, Westbrook's uh, I mean he keeps most things you know internal so you don't really know like yeah what he does or doesn't care about but he's definitely not a phony but uh I mean, Durant's a, a better player, probably. It'd be easier to build a championship-quality team around Durant than Westbrook. Yeah. Not that it's impossible, true. but, yeah, definitely as a personality, I, I prefer Westbrook. I think the MVP speech that Durant made was also, like, one of the few MVP speeches people actually talked about and remembered because it was as, or felt as genuine as it was. Um, and I guess it's that much more kind of disappointing when you realize how much of a marketing ploy it perhaps was in the first place you know yes it's kind of kind of disappointing just like his tattoos it's kind of like said, when when the decision happened they sort of cast him <coughs> in the role of like good guy of the league and lebron yeah. is like the villain of the league and yeah. uh, he you know started playing up that role like pretty quickly as soon as he was cast into it. Mm-hmm. That's true. I don't know. I was reading a really bad ESPN article this morning, and that's what reminded me of it, where the guy was like, you know, praising Durant's decision to go to Golden State. Um, and he said that, you know, Westbrook and him were never friends. They were more like neighbors or something like that. Like they had a friend relationship, but they weren't close. And I was like, he called him his brother in that speech. Like yeah. if that's if that's the truth, then yeah, he's a big fan. Yeah, but whatever. Yep. On to demon lover. Speaking of phonies. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Being of people pretending to be one thing when they're actually another. Yep. Alright, so this was my pick, so I'll kind of run down the plot. Uh, the 
film sort of follows a woman played by Connie Nielsen named uh, Diane Ordion, if you want to say it with a French accent. Um, and uh, so um, she works for a company, um, like a financial company in France that's interested in investing in um, an anime company that specializes in like uh, sort of comic books and movies that are uh, pornographic in nature, so, um, and that are getting into the online porn biz and doing really well for themselves, and so uh, the company's interested in investing, but um, as you watch the film, you slowly, I mean, you figure out, not that slowly, I guess, but like her motivations become more clear that uh, uh, Diane is actually a um, spy for a competing um, anime company called Mangatronics that uh, is in danger of being pushed out of the business by um, Tokyo Anime, the company that um, Wolf, which is what she works for, is interested in investing in. And then, um, so she's trying to sabotage the deal and um, tie in uh, Tokyo Anime and its American part to eventually to a um uh like uh, interactive torture site that's basically just like an illegal um site called uh hellfire club and uh then when she's looking at it for evidence of that um things kind of spiral out of control lots of people get murdered and uh <laughs> everything ends pretty poorly for diane um, Ilya, what did you think of this movie? Um, I liked this movie. Um, I thought the plot was pretty convoluted, especially towards the end, but that did not hinder me from enjoying it. Um, and I uh, liked some of the performances, Hervé in particular. Um, I also liked the way Asias uses actors or actresses. Like, there's always like the feeling that it's not just the character that they're playing, but also like some of the roles they've played in the past that he's very aware of like the meta textual kind of importance of which actor he's casting in which role. Um, and um, yeah, I thought uh, that it actually had some interesting things to say in particular about, let's say the role of, uh, and the perception of Japan by, um, Western countries and the kind of role it sort of ends up playing in this in a, in a like globalized capitalist society um, but yeah I'll touch on that a little bit later uh, I'm indifferent to this movie um, part of it I think might be the copy that we watched because I didn't like I, I assumed that I didn't like the camera that it was shot on, that I just found like that kind of style ugly. But then when I looked up the camera that it was shot on, and looked at some other films that were shot on, I was like, oh, I actually like the look of these films. So maybe I should find a different hmm. copy and rewatch hmm. this movie. Um, but as far as like narratively, you know, uh, there I still had some issues in particular. Like I feel like. I guess thematically, I think it's like pretty heavy-handed, um, which 
I've realized, especially via my enjoyment of Nerve last year, can be, uh, I can enjoy Heavy Handed if it's like mixed in with like a dash of like humorousness and like kind of, uh, not cheesiness. I don't know. Not taking yourself too seriously. Um, and there are a couple of good jokes in this, but not enough. It definitely gets like hmm. real serious at the end, uh, in a way that I didn't totally, I wasn't totally on board for. And, um, I guess I, I really didn't like the performance of the, ma- of the male lead, Hervé, I believe hmm. is his name. Yeah. I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure. I, I like Connie Nielsen and Chloe Sevigny, but, uh. The guy, I didn't like him hardly at all. So. Patrick, um, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm pretty indifferent to this movie. Um, it, I was, I was actually like, I kind of started to get into it uh, once they started revealing, I guess, like what the businesses were actually running, and I was like, oh, this is actually kind of funny. Like, the weird exotification of this is kind of like. I feel like he's definitely saying something with this, but then once the, I guess like the plot started to kick in, I was like, what is happening right now? Like, it's so unbelievably convoluted. And I was just like, this, I I feel like, I don't know if he's like making fun of the way that like suspense plots are convoluted, but it just, it didn't ever feel like incisive enough. <laughs> To where I was just like, oh yeah, he's really sticking it to him. I was just like, this just seems like a lot of weird things keep happening. <laughs> and and I never yeah. I never quite got back into the movie after that. But um, I do still think that there are some funny scenes. So I you know I'd probably go like middle of the road uh, review with this because uh, I don't think it's terrible and I don't necessarily like hate the aesthetic too much. I think that he. Uh, Sayus like warps it in weird ways uh, throughout the film to make me think that it's like a pretty deliberate choice that he went, you know, with that sort of look. Yeah, um, I I like this movie not a lot, but I like it. But yeah, um, I think that uh, like. W- the sort of flatness of the cinematography and also the way it's like panning like constantly especially in the beginning there's like all these shots that like start on one person's face who's kind of in the background but then like someone starts walking towards the camera and the camera just like pans to like show their face and follow them and it does that like a ton at first i was like "Mm, i already thought of my snarky review i'm gonna pan this movie as much as it pans (laughs) (laughs) but uh but I think that, uh, I mean, it's, it settles down in other scenes, so then I was like, oh, it's sort of like, um, at least like partly a deliberate choice to kind of like reflect the, I guess, like um, sort of image on image uh, commentary that it's trying for with, uh, you know, pictures in pictures all the time. And, um, and that, like, I guess the structure sort of, for me at least, reflected that where like the more like a thriller the movie became the more like convoluted and also just like uh 
dreamlike it became. Like the shots became a lot weirder looking and also like what was happening seemed like it made increasingly less sense where like there's like a long period of time where she thinks she killed Gina Gershon but then the audience isn't sure if she killed Gina Gershon or if it was just a dream because she just wakes up in her hotel and everything's gone and I was like oh so maybe she didn't kill her and uh, that the, the movie's kind of like um, descent into like I guess like dreamlike strangeness as like a sort of uh, tying it back into the idea as like a meta commentary of like its own like obviously constructedness and everything like again I agree that uh, with Ruben that it's like not exactly like a subtle point or heavy handed but I was still like oh I kind of like that the movie is disintegrating at the same time that it's uh, like everything becoming more movie like and I was like that's kind of fun. But I, I don't know. I don't like where it ends up. I feel like that's, like, too easy mm. a thing. Like, the very end with, like, the kid in yeah. America, like, with his Godzilla poster doing his mm. homework while watching torture porn. I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> like, you could yeah. that's, that's a very, way. very unsubtle point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did think the go- Someone I, mentioned, I did think the someone's review mentioned. It's funny, though. That, like, the movie was, like, reverse engineered to, like, fit the narrative that she would actually end up in that position. Like, they came up with that, and then, like, oh, that wouldn't that be cool that one of those predatory, super capitalist people would actually end up at the, the mercy receive, of- receiving end of what they're, like, actually peddling here. Um, but, yeah, that was too cute, I thought, as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a similar yeah. thing that I didn't like at all when she kills Gina Gershon and then there's, like, a Japanese couple that is, like, uh, yeah. confused about finding their room or something and they don't notice, like, bloody hand stains all over yeah. the wall. Then there's a Russian couple that also doesn't notice. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah. There, you know, that's so. That's how desensitized the world is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Caught up like, in our own... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that whole thing. I mean, I thought what was pretty funny okay. was, like, the moment when all that, you know, the wolf, whatever, what, what's it called? Wolf. Wolf Corporation. When you there, it's actually disclosed that they're, like, dealing with these people, like, based on, um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to, like, uh, buy a stake or, like, uh, tie, tie in, like, their business with this, like, Japanese head tie uh, company, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like their way they're talking about it at this dinner in in Tokyo is just like so weirdly like matter of fact like typical corporate speak. Which during my job I've had the the pleasure to really <laughs> get to know quite well, and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, the yeah. way they also the way language is used in this movie is pretty interesting. Like they all switch to English. But not everyone speaks it, and some people then suddenly speak French, and then suddenly speak Japanese, and there's always a translator and whatever. But it's like, when it kind of gets down to the actual business speak, it's English, which, you know, for better or worse, maybe that's very on the nose, but like, it makes sense. That's the language that they're all, like, that's the thing. It's Basically, that's when they're talking about money. <laughs> that's when they're talking English. 
And I thought that was that was at least kind of neat. Um, Ruben started to say something. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, now I could respond to Oya's thing, but I'll say the what I was going to say before, <laughs> um, which is that uh, even though I ended up not liking the movie, I think Femme Fatale is a better version of that joke of like how convoluted thrillers are. Um, <laughs> Femme Fatale is like pretty funny joke on that idea um mm. and there's uh something else that i was gonna say but i'll just respond to what Ilya was talking about since i don't remember the second thing which is yeah that's um like my favorite section of the movie starting with that like their gross discussion about pubic hair and child pornography and everyone's just like really matter of fact about it and then this like then everyone's just like casually watching pornography in their hotel room. And then there's like a really, <laughs> what I thought was like a really funny moment when uh, they're like watching some of the CGI animation that this company is doing. And there's a shot of one of the CGI women that I think it starts off like a front facing like medium shot. And then the camera like loops over her head and then goes all the way around under her skirt and then back to her face. Yeah. I laughed really hard at that shot because it was like the most ridiculous way to like objectify slash upskirt a person that was like so over the top that um, yeah. I was like, man, this is really funny. But um, yeah, I guess like getting back to the like heavy hand and it's like there's that first scene in the film, all the like business class people are on the plane with like this but super fancy food, by the way. When I was watching yeah. this, I was like, man, wow. I want that like fruit plate or whatever. And then Do they have a baker on the plane <laughs> yeah. that makes that bakes that bread. <laughs> Amazing. And, they, and literally every TV is like showing like a person on fire or something yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I was like, this yeah. is kind of funny. That's kind of subtle. Like there's a little point about like rich people and how they just don't care about like violence or whatever but then by the end of the movie like they kept hammering that point home that i was like oh now i don't really care about it anymore <laughs> mm. yeah i i thought the that whole sequence where they go and like look at the hentai that the company is making was hilarious like especially yeah. the cut the cut <laughs> back reaction shots well yeah charles berlin's yeah. reaction to it all was fucking cracking me up like he was just kind of <laughs> like he was like kind of, kind of like trying to be cash about it, but you could tell he was like really into it. He was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> and they were just shots that were just completely pixelated, like you couldn't even tell what was going on. I was like, yeah. "What is going? This is like insane." Like, yeah, uh, apparently that's not yeah. in the original cut of the movie. That was done for the um, rated R version to be released in America, so that it could be rated R. <laughs> they had to pixelate some of the. That's mm-hmm. that's even uh, more. Into, but it like, also, I think it's it's funnier yeah. pixelated. Like the pixelated is a much better joke. <laughs> but I mean, it's also more accurate, I guess. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe in the U.S. you can mm-hmm. get away with it, but in Japan you can't show penetration even in a cartoon. That is true. Oh, I didn't know that those rules were for hentai too. I knew that they were for um, mm. live action pornography, but yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, so, I I don't know if I can give Olivier Assayas credit for this, but I it felt intentional to me, but I can't say for sure. But when he's like, this is groundbreaking animation, it still, <laughs> even for 2002, didn't necessarily look 
like it was that great and I was like this is pretty funny like look at this <laughs> great CGI or whatever and I'm like is it great <laughs> it was also funny when they were talking about how they have to move into 3D or you know everything's yeah. gonna fail and blah blah, blah. like yeah actually nothing nothing really moved into 3D like <laughs> yep. there's not not even close like not necessary um, I think if well I mean I think if the porn industry if the bottom hadn't fallen out of it it might have been pursued more seriously yeah. but now like it's so hard to make money on porn that uh, there's no reason to invest like 20 million dollars making a super cool CGI porn movie that no <laughs> one's gonna buy that's true <laughs> So I actually um, think while well, kind of catching up on, on, on this part of the of, of the movie, um, I had read uh, this is a while ago, but I uh, read this paper called um, something like f- about the floating world in Japan. And, like the floating world was this idea that um, during like 17th century Japan, the cities, uh, the, 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 the shogunate, so the emperors of Japan, would uh, make it so that um, all sort of entertainment and like uh, dangerous elements or whatever would be put into districts outside of the city. So this would be brothels, bars, you know, like theaters and whatever. Like everything like arty and slutty would be moved outside (laughs) the range of the city um, in order to control it better. And these places would be then called ukiyo, which translated as the floating world. Um, And like what this paper argued, and I'm actually kind of, I think this movie's kind kind of gets at that as well, is that now Japan itself kind of acts like this floating world version of what those places used to be there but for like america and western europe in that it's kind of like the absolute embodiment of all things like hardcore capitalists but without all the like vague christian morality like pasted <laughs> all over it that would be talking all about how this is like not cool whatever no it's like everything it's like all the like most bottom like desires when you, it comes to sexuality like all the taboo subjects and they're just like pressed right in your face. <laughs> and so as if that was kind of outsourced to Japan as it's like floating world, which li- like quite literalized is quite interesting as well. Um, and I think the movie kind of gets at that and that is like during that conversation that they have, this the, the part where they're talking about the pubic hair and whatever, it, see, it, it, it comes across like so hypocritical and so like, such bullshit like they're only of where like afraid of this because it might hurt their bottom line not for right. any other purpose but they're like acting as if you know we can't do that no 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 please like don't even, we yeah. we can't even touch it like blah blah, blah. but it's okay for japan to do these things <laughs> and then for the west to capitalize on these things and i thought like that actually was one of the more interesting parts of it obviously kind of informed by that idea yeah, you yeah, get the same kind like of the idea. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you Go just ahead. get the same kind of joke with the with the demon lover uh, company when they find out that they're connected to like the Hellfire website. Like that guy has nothing but praise about the website, <laughs> and then they're like, "You own it," and yeah. it's like, "That's ri- no, we don't. That's ridiculous." And he's like, well, <laughs> "I don't have anything to do with that." And it's like, "Well, why are you so insulted now? Like you were just <laughs> right. before, all you were talking about was." how well made it is 
That's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically everyone except for I guess Hervé is a pretty bad liar in this movie. Like when he confronts Connie Nielsen, he's like mentioning like, "Oh, it's funny that you got this job because Karen got sick or abducted or whatever." And then she's like, "What? What are you implying?" And he's like, "Well, I wasn't <laughs> implying anything, but now I'm suspicious." <laughs> And that, uh, like, um, but yeah, what I was going to say about what Ilya was talking about is sort of like the strange sort of, um, I mean, obviously how business-like it is, but also like what, like what different countries constitutes obscenity. Like they're talking about like, oh, well, the women don't have pubic hair in in our animation because in Japan it's illegal to show pubic hair. And then the French people are like, oh, but like. You have to show pubic hair, otherwise people will think they're children, and then we'll get in trouble in France. <laughs> and it's just yeah. like this strange sort of. Um, yeah, everyone's like, just talking about like very particular like right. elements that might get them into like legal trouble. That's that's all there is. And I thought, you know, like um, that's why I reason I you, Ruben didn't like the main lead actor but I kind of liked him because he just looks like and acts like just he's so much the embodiment of all these like manager guys that I've gotten to meet over the past <laughs> like two years it's just such a perfect like kind of gross masculine like sort of like never really says what he's thinking like you know, just knows just enough to like kind of leverage his knowledge of people against them and like stuff like that. And this is like just this gross looking dude who yeah. like, could could like be like a porn actor looking. or whatever. Like <laughs> he's just like like oh oh my god! The, I was gonna say the 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 sex scene between him and Connie Nielsen is hilarious, like uh, in the way that it's shot because well, uh, I feel like <laughs> the, the the scene. Well, wait, what do you mean what? Are you talking about the rape scene, where then she ends up murdering him? Yeah. Well, it, I I was what was it? Rape? I was unclear on whether or not it was actually rape because it it seemed. Wait, I'm gonna okay, go okay, with okay. the fact that she murders him implies that it definitely was rape. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I th- I thought that. Okay, I, I I thought that she was like, I thought again like. Somebody not, I don't know. I thought I thought she was like using that as a like reason to to like bump him off or whatever. But maybe I don't know. The their interaction beforehand made that unclear to me. Mm. Um. But anyway, during that scene, it feels like uh, Asaias shoots that the opposite way that you generally see sex scenes shot in movies where it's usually like <laughs> focused on the female body and in this case it's all his body like he's the one who gets undressed first and then it it shows like his body on top of hers and it's just like i didn't, he yeah. looks so gross the way he's shot i was like ugh, this person yeah, is yeah. just like of... he looks like some sort of like weird monster on top of her a lot of shots of his bare ass in that scene that's yeah. for sure. Just kind of awkwardly grinding into her. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, that that whole scene was really 
at that point, the movie had already become like pretty crazy, and it was not really easy to tell what even was going on. Um, like that scene with him and her, like starting to sleep together, starts off as if it's like consensual, then kind of becomes more and more violent, and then the next morning he just starts like gr- like humping her before she's even woken up, and like that, you know, uh, that definitely looks. You know, questionable to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, he shoots him in the face. So that <laughs> kind of yeah. tips you off to how so, she was feeling about it. Just, but yeah, yeah although, I was although, going to say that. Yeah. What What were you going to say? Because I was going to say, like, I thought that she wanted to kill him anyway. Like, I thought right. that was that was like yeah, maybe independent of but, him potentially raping her. Like, I thought that was how she felt about him anyway so well yeah but i think that yeah i mean like she could have she had the access to the gun she could have just like killed him while he's asleep if like her modus operandi was just murdering him but yeah i think it's like that's a good more point. A self-defensive thing although again that point actually uh, uh, it's almost too much logic for that part of that movie already <laughs> Because, like, uh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Why didn't she shoot him while he was asleep if she really actually wanted to shoot him in the first place? So either she just made up her mind in that morning, (laughs) but I don't know. That that also seems, like, strange because she had just kind of been consensual with him, like, just before that. And then, like, oh, now I don't like him because, like, he's humping me without me... Being awake, that's not cool. I'm going to shoot him in the face. That's yeah. weird. I mean, I think it's kind of like basic instinct in that first sex scene with like Michael Douglas and um, mm. the therapist, where like it starts off yeah. like consensual and then it like gets to a place that she doesn't like, but then the movie doesn't make it clear because, much like basic instinct, um, it's playing off like our perceived lack of clarity i guess in society they're mm. like people want to pretend like there's like a pretty fungible line when there's not actually <laughs> like as soon yeah. as someone decides they're not into it that's when things stop immediately yeah um yeah and, and that's already kind of, those, of apparent yeah uh, i just think both of those scenes are commenting on that yeah, yeah, like the the first sex scene that read definitely towards the end of it that it becomes like pretty violent and you mm-hmm. don't really see her face, which is like an interesting way to film that sort of thing because that would usually be your like tipping off point where like oh wait she looks like she's not enjoying, it. but it's just the the sounds and like her body like parts of her body moving against his that you're kind of that is heavily implied that this is already not cool. And I mean, she so, says no, also. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, Ruben? Sorry. Um, well, I, I started to make a s- sort of joke earlier. It would have been funnier if I had been able to get it in before we started talking about the scene. Because I was about to say, when Ilya said that he re- this guy reminded him of like managers and stuff that he met, I was about to say, you must have really vicariously enjoyed it when he was shot in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I did think that it was pretty, um, like, uh, pretty good, although, again, not 
particularly subtle like mirroring that like when she shoots him and gets all the blood all over her body it's similar to like the 3d cgi woman who's like shooting all those zombies and then at the end she's like yeah and like covered in their blood and naked yeah, or whatever she, for some and, like, reason she's taken off her top <laughs> while she was fighting yeah. Them, she's like <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, that that was sexy blood. This is yeah, not the this sexy is, blood. This is harrowing. <laughs> <laughs> not sexy yeah. blood. So when I was looking up some stuff about this movie, I found out a jo- a pretty subtle joke. I don't know if you y'all knew this, but um, so Hellfire is the name of an episode of the original Avengers show. Um, ah. The the yeah, British like Avengers like show, yeah. not the um, you know, yeah, not they the dress Iron, her up like Iron, Diana Rigg yeah. at the yes. end. <laughs> yes, and she's wearing the outfit I believe from that episode, and that episode was originally banned because the outfit was considered like too sensual or something like that. Right. And so there's like a little bit of a funny comment, uh, the idea that. You know, especially with the boy at the end, that's something in the 60s that would have been considered, you know, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Um, taboo. Im- yeah, taboo. That's a good word for it. Uh, improper. Um, is now, like, completely meaningless. And then maybe even, like, a little bit of projection of, like, what are we going to not even care about in 40 years? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny that the right. kid at the end is is looking at like DNA, like models. He's just like examining DNA. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what will be sexy. We'll just like break people down so far as to their DNA. They're like, wow, this DNA is really sexy. Wow, that's, mm. uh, yeah, super. Sexy I mean, I did like the part I did like there. about about that ending scene is just like. That kid's dad just like coming home, being all like, I just came home from work. And then the kid quickly sneaking in and stealing his card and running into his room, like the way he's done it, like probably a hundred times before. Mm-hmm. That part I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, this is, this is just a jokey nitpick for fun, but like, because I don't know. Uh, it doesn't really affect my enjoyment of the movie, but I noticed when he's entering his information that the site costs $20 a month, and I don't know how it could be really, really successful if like it's so hard to get a membership, but each member is only paying $20 a month. <laughs> <laughs> You'd expect something as exclusive as this to actually probably cost at least 10 times that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you know that. It's uh, like you're you're risking something being a member of that Hellfire right. Club, right? For <laughs> like, sure. And that you know, I mean, the idea of like each member gets to like choose what scenarios. Like, I don't know. Yeah, kidnapping people is not cheap. <laughs> Twenty bucks a month. Is, <laughs> it's probably true. I've never tried to do it before, but I imagine it mm. will cost you a lot of money to set up the whole thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like the only. But yeah, I mean, I. Th- oh, oh sorry, well, go I was going to say, it seemed like the only fantasy that people uh, were perpetrating was just people being electrocuted on a bed, I guess. That's, that seemed like their main thing. They were like, oh, yeah, you want to see somebody get electrocuted on a bed? Yeah. Storm electrocuted <laughs> on a bed. Yeah. 
But uh, cute. Yeah, I mean, I guess again, bringing back uh, <laughs> Asaias's weird ambivalent relationship with superhero stuff. Oh yeah, comes up also <laughs> in Codzilla's <laughs> Maria. That's right. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it is kind of interesting um, that like the way he at first makes Hervé seem like the dumb guy, like all the women are like in on this conspiracy that's happening. And then when like they reveal at the end of the movie that he's actually like the ringleader of the whole thing, like I thought that that was kind of like an interesting uh, sort of, I mean, given Essayus's other work, like commentary on sort of like patriarchy or whatever, like even when you think that like all these women have all this agency and they're like, operating kind of against each other like with this like doofy guy clueless of everything it turns out nope like you can never escape like that kind of guy on top who's actually controlling everything still being directed by a man yep yeah (laughs) still written and directed by a man (laughs) (laughs) directed by a dude written by three dudes starring Mostly dudes. <laughs> My favorite description of Mad Max Fury Road ever. <laughs> that was a good moment. Um, um... I also did think it was pretty interesting the way that Connie Nielsen, like, increasingly looks like Lara Croft the longer the game goes and the movie goes but like like at the beginning she's like wearing business suits but then at the end she's wearing like a blouse that's like sort of like unbuttoned and like you know ragged looking and her hair is kind of just like a mess and I was just like oh now she looks like a video game character now that she's living a video game I mean, I I kind of thought that she looked like an anime character throughout the movie. Like she has kind of a like major Kusanagi haircut throughout the the first part. Oh of the yeah, movie. you're right. And I was like, are they making some Ghost sort of like, show. weird connection between her and an anime character throughout this movie? <laughs> and like, it became increasingly clear that they were like going for that, like trying to make her look like, you know, some sort of heroine from anime or a video game or something. But like yeah. uh, the the part this movie really dumbed down was like the, the whole idea that th- this is how like office politics work. Like you want to get ahead, you like poison somebody and then you can get their job. And it's like if you're really in this kind of like high powered, weird ass business environment, then these kind of like dynamics are like everyone's aware of them already. Everyone knows who's like gunning for whose job like right away it's completely 100 percent clear so that if someone actually goes ahead and does this sort of thing something like that happens to the way things happen to that karen right i think her name is in the beginning mm-hmm. where she gets everyone's first thought would be oh wait who wants her job oh that's probably her that did it like it's a hundred percent aware. everyone's aware of that and that um the way like chloe savini and connie nielsen's relationship is like in this movie usually that sort of a thing is like a hundred times dialed down yeah. and it's still s- super like obvious to everybody. Like if someone like gives you like a weird stare, that's already like, <laughs> oh, wait, she gave her a weird stare once. She pro- she might kill her like someday <laughs> or whatever. 
So that this movie definitely like way overdoes the like drama that usually happens, and you kind of nobody ever does something like that. Like they ne- people never yell at each other like this. Right. Not at a company that's like pretty successful and like a huge business. Nobody would ever be allowed to do something like this. And like the way everyone like just you know, and then Chloe Savini ends up getting Chloe. Su- uh, Connie Nielsen's job and stuff like all of that is like definitely super heavy-handed and nowhere near to the way like actual office politics work. But I mean, also, that's like I don't know. I mean, it's not necessarily the point. The point, but like that also, like everyone knows what everyone's up to literally because Hervé is in charge of everything and he yeah. already knows yeah. that yeah. she's a spy or whatever. Like. So by the end of the movie, like it's sort of just a, I guess, elaborate machination to uh, expose Mangatronics for trying to sabotage the business. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But uh, um, oh, fuck, what was I gonna? Oh yeah, what Patrick was saying about her looking like an anime character. The, a thing that really struck me that freaked me out a little bit was. Like right after the, they have the scene where they're watching like the three D CGI thing. They go to a club, and then the <laughs> singers of the club look like three D CGI. And yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is unsettling." Yeah. <laughs> Even the way that it's cut together, there's a moment where you don't know whether or not they're still watching videos or it, they're in real life before you <laughs> right. see like Connie Nielsen like walking around in the club. Where you're like, "Oh, is this just like much better CGI because it's like all flashing like." the cgi animation and like uh, they use like a song playing underneath both of them so that like you know there's like a nice smooth transition and it's yeah it's like phony real world i like that song by the way yeah that part was cool and the j-pop song was pretty good i wrote down life Uh, imitates cgi animation (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there's also speaking of music uh a part where connie nelson is watching something on tv it's like a like a heavy metal song or something where they're just like, mm. just like i thought it was rage against the machine oh, oh maybe was it no. i don't i don't uh, it sounded like something it had a fuck. very similar sound yeah definitely or something like that like, <laughs> that's definitely some sort of a statement he's making there like uh yeah the the idea of like not wanting to have any sort of like um i guess i i i like a political stance on something and just wanting to like you know, exist free of politics. Like that's actually kind of a terrible idea because right. <laughs> you, you can't exist in the world and not have politics. Like it's true. You, that's yeah. what things to come is also about. This is a good movie. Um, mm. what was I going to say? Oh, uh, I can't remember now, but that game that, Chloe Seven is playing at the end is a pretty cool game. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. It's just like that cut to her. And she's just, like, lying on her bed naked. Yeah, just <laughs> playing a video, video game. game? Like, <laughs> is that like an actual game? <laughs> yeah, it's called Oni. Uh, it's called Oni O N I. Oh, it's for okay. Xbox and PS2. I've played nice. it. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, I was like, oh hey, it's Oni. Cool. <laughs> Um, but 
I like Gina Gershon's I Love Gossip t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're in that that I was going to say, excellent. that's another like subtle patriarchy gender construction thing. It's like a woman walking around with an I Heart Gossip <laughs> shirt. Um, and then my only other note is when uh, Connie Nielsen's Deanne is looking through the television, like, you know, she's like mostly watching like porn. But then there's like one shot of like just like a woman jumping off the side of a building oh, yeah. that she just gets yeah. through really quickly. And I don't know whether or not, um, you know, Olivier Assayas would have seen uh, Pulse at this point, but it did come out the previous year. And it's like mm-hmm. essentially just like a close up version of the exact same shot from Pulse. Like it pulls down yeah. into the background, background. And here it's, you know, just like a regular median shot of it. And I thought, since they have like kind of similar stuff going on, maybe it was like a shout out mm. to. That's what I thought appreciating too. Appreciating was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously he likes uh, international cinema a lot. Irma Vep has a whole bunch of references to Hong Kong. And then uh, obviously has Maggie Chung as the lead. And then <laughs> this deals a lot with Japanese filmmaking of a sort. Uh, <laughs> Also, when um, uh, Connie Nielsen, speaking of references, when she's sneaking into Gina Gershon's hotel room, uh, it reminded me a lot of Irma Vep, yeah, which very, is yeah, like, and the yeah. references to like Fantomas, like women thieves sneaking around. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that that whole scene is really intense for sure. Um, when especially, oh yeah, when they fight, yeah, when they yeah when they fight. And like usually the movie has a lot of like background music always pretty much you know almost all the time um and during that whole scene it's just this like like just this just this noise that's at the background mm-hmm. of it playing throughout the whole thing um which kind of heightens everything and I think like that's kind of the point after which the movie really like derails plot wise mm-hmm. like pretty much after that um Already before that, there's like some iffy things plot-wise, but like after that moment, it just like becomes more and more exponentially like kind of weird. Yeah, um, like a and video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like way too many things start happening at once, and like all these like revelations happen. That's why the part where where Hervé like says like, "Oh, I actually she works for me." Like Chloe Sevigny worked for me. Like I knew all this stuff almost comes off as if it's like a joke because like um (laughs) there's just so much like jump to conclusions and like sudden revelation Mm -hmm. like all that stuff happening after that moment that it barely seems real anymore so when he says that it's like yeah (laughs) exactly i I wonder if sounds very anime actually (laughs) as well yeah that's true yeah, I wonder if I would have liked the movie more if at the very end it had said, like, game over. Would you like to try again? <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was, the whole movie was existence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could even, like, uh, going back to Ilya's interpretation, or one of Ilya's interpretations of Starship Troopers, how, like, at the invasion of Clendathu, like, the Casper Van Diem character just dies, and the rest of the movie <laughs> is just, like, a bit of a vision. I mean, she gets clonked on the head by um, yeah, Gina real hard. Yeah, 
Like, it's so like the whole rest of the movie could just be like, whatever, you, you, like a dying are you moment. Saying, are you saying it's a Jacob's Ladder scenario? <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen yeah, Jacob's true. Ladder. It's just spoiling movies all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Especially because, like, after that, a lot of the things that end up happening, like, not a lot of, like, new characters are introduced. Mostly, like, the old characters, like, just get way enhanced. So, yeah, Chloe right. Savini's, like... Pulling a gun. <laughs> sort of simmering hatred of her becomes, like, super textual. And she, like, points a gun at her, like, threatens her. And, like, Karen comes back from the... From no out of nowhere and is, like, involved in this crazy torture thing. And then, like, Hervé, the guy that she, like, kind of is has a thing with, is, like, total ringleader behind everything. And, like actually has sex with her and like all this other stuff like it's almost like everything that's before that just gets heightened to an insane degree yeah it could be like a sort of i guess um potentially metaphorical like or uh sort of internalized maybe like guilt like because mm-hmm. up until that point she doesn't seem like she like feels that great about like what she's doing for you know, like, uh, Megatronics yeah. or whatever, like, the boss is like, you need to fix this, like, Megatronics is paying us a lot of money, like, blah, 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 and then, yeah. uh, that, like, that could be, like, um, the rest of the movie seen as, like, an externalized version of, like, oh, uh, like, I guess, like, self-recrimination or, like, uh, sort of masochistic guilt or whatever that she, uh, killed Gina Gershon in the name of some dumb company paying her money or whatever yeah. and then ends up in sort of like the the hell that she created for herself yeah the tape that they play of like the people cleaning up after she uh mm-hmm. her and Ger- she pretty much killed Gina Gershon probably that's what kind of it amounts to yeah, I yeah. guess um kind of reminded me of seconds actually the the the, the, the beginning oh. where the guy is like presented this tape of how he like had yes had yeah, like assaulted the, like the, the assaulted woman, that woman yeah. yeah and like he kind of like remembers it but is not quite sure if it actually happened and he wakes up and still has all his clothes on and is like oh that probably never happened i should get out of here and then like that's what they i wonder if sas actually also incorporated that it's like the tape is just there to fill that plot hole in it's like, yeah because that's all that's on the tape is like Here's exactly what happened. It's like the, the tape <laughs> yeah, really doesn't yeah, make yeah. sense. Like if you gave it to somebody as evidence of something, you're like, they would look at it and be like, "What is? What am I looking at here? Like, who are these people? <laughs> yeah. What, and, yeah, what happened?" It, it would reveal that you're guilty, not that she's guilty, because it's not <laughs> yeah. a tape of her attack. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tape of them cleaning up a murder yeah. scene. Right. <laughs> exactly, especially Chloe Seven you cleaning right. up murder. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to send this to the press. No, we probably won't. I, I, I doubt it. They'll just look at it and be like, what's happening? <laughs> like, there's all these guys' faces in it, too. They're not even wearing masks. There's not even, like, just any mask wearing going on there. Um, yeah. Speaking of tenuous connections, so one of the reviews of uh, Paul Verhoeven's L on Letterboxd was just Demon Lover 2. Um, and... Uh, the connection Mm. between these two movies besides weird uh, CGI video video game porn shit is uh, so Connie Nielsen was in Three Days to Kill as the Mm -hmm. mom and Haley Steinfeld's 
boyfriend in Three Days to Kill is the dumb son in Elle. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the connection between Demon nice. Lover and Elle. Yep. Awesome. That's that. Six degrees of separation. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh-uh. Well, it's also about ruthless business women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I think that's why that person reviewed it, called it Demon yeah. Lover 2, is because of the, like, you know, the business women angle, yeah. and sexual assault angle, and the CGI. Right, right. Yeah, there's some <laughs> some stuff there. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, this is sort of just changing the subject, but I did think it was sort of funny when... Uh, like, she's watching porn in her hotel, and then Hervé calls, and she turns it off real fast and says she's watching CNN, CNN. and then when she goes it's to awful. his hotel, he's watching the same movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she hears it, he turns it off, like, he, he doesn't yeah. even, like, turn it off before, like, right as she's walking in, like, he turns it off. That's true. It's like, you can hear it clearly. <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, I'm just watching CNN, or whatever. It's just like, you're not even trying, dude. But it's also like again, it's this scene where like people watch porno, but they're not even in any way ready for masturbating or anything. Like she right. just she watches it with like yeah, leaning forward, she's got a like, drink in her hand. Kind of like she's like mm-hmm. checking it out, drinking. <laughs> like, consider does this. anybody ever watch porn like this? No, I doubt it. <laughs> like, like somebody, that's that's pure sociopathy. <laughs> like watching porn like that. It's like somebody. Oh like, man, that reminds me. <laughs> somebody like it. Well, it, it cuts around in the porn so much, but I just thought it was so funny. Like, yeah. there's a shot of her, and there's a shot of the screen. It's just like somebody's like eating somebody's ass, and she's just like, mm, yeah. like watching it. Like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> this this whiskey is good. Mm. It's a good year. Yeah. Good year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely seen people at the library who are watching (laughs) porn like that. Oh, shit. They're also sociopaths. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) No other reason to watch porn at the library besides either you're homeless or you're a sociopath. That's the only two options. Yeah, I guess if you don't have the internet at your house, you're like, "Mm, I'm going to remember and masturbate to this later. Yeah, they're just staring this at This is going like, on my yeah. it's going on my memory bank for later. It's <laughs> trying to memorize every moment. But yeah, that guy was for sure a sociopath because uh mm. I mean this was a while ago, but it was like in the days when uh there wasn't tabbed browsing, so every if you wanted a new thing you had to open a new window. Mm. And like I saw his screen and he had like 40 minimized windows and he would like click on uh. something and minimize it and then open a different one and each time and it was all like the same kind of porn which is like <laughs> women with like really really huge breasts but then he would just like click it and then like as soon as it started to load he would minimize it and open something else that had like already loaded from the oh last time God. he clicked it oh man <laughs> fuck <laughs> Oh, Why boy. wasn't that guy in this movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that would have been a much better thing than the sun yeah. thing. Yeah, it's the guy just... at the library minimizing Hellfire <laughs> Club and exactly a zillion other weird torture <laughs> porn chambers. Yeah. 
I mean, load times were pretty insane back then, so... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> really well, what's the thing it? that it says on the phone in uh, Nerve, Patrick? <laughs> wait, 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 which... which uh, uh, in, in Nerve? You're an accessory to yeah, murder. You're yeah. an accessory to torture porn. <laughs> Log off. <laughs> <laughs> That's in one of the minimized windows. He doesn't even see it. <laughs> I'm glad I got to tell that story. Yeah, I'm glad this discussion <laughs> led to that. For sure. <coughs> Technology is great. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But again, the, you know, the sort of, I guess emotionlessly watching porn is just more of the same like look at how desensitized people are yeah yeah thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. kind of like right. eh. i don't know <laughs> are people that desensitized <clears throat> yeah i mean i feel like that was like um maybe even like a more cogent point in 2002 because i feel like that was sort of the heyday of like internet trolling and pretending like everyone kind of like being indifferent to other people's feelings on the internet and stuff like that uh that i mean like culturally everyone's sort of you know moved past it post postmodernism <laughs> sincerity all that stuff <laughs> yeah but i don't know i mean i definitely think that at a certain point i was maybe close to being that desensitized but i'm certainly not anymore so yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember how. I mean, not so like, desensitized that I'd be watching the Hellfire Club. I think I was. I'm glad I never made it anywhere near that far. But yeah, <laughs> no. But like the, I remember how much into like rape revenge flicks, exploitation movies, like Japanese, <coughs> like pinku stuff, like really rough giallos and and stuff like that people were and using it more like as in like an aesthetic statement so like pretty much without any kind of like um oh but what does this actually mean like just like no these Mm -hmm. movies are cool sort of thing like wearing it as like a um you know your knowledge of movies sort of thing like oh i know yeah, yeah exactly so desensitized maybe in that way. I still doubt that when people are actually like confronted with like real violence that they could just wash it over and over and over and over <laughs> and and be completely cool with it and like make icons out of it and whatever. Like, I mean you know, I, 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 I We doubt know it. that we know that that's not the case. When you do that to people they get PTSD. Like they yeah. psychologically can't handle it. Right. So if yeah. you consider PTSD to be a form of desensitization, then I mean, yes, I guess so. Right. But right. You ha- otherwise, yeah. you have to be a sociopath to like not be affected by violence. That's true. For sure. <laughs> Although I think, yeah, the internet has perhaps made it easier to realize that there's a lot more sociopaths in society <laughs> than probably anyone ever thought there were. Yeah. Like, um, but well, something so much, like one out of every yeah. hundred thousand people, and there are eight billion like, people in the world. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's what, that's like ten thousand people. Ten. Yeah. <laughs> ten thousand sociopaths and 
if they all have access to the internet, they can seem pretty loud. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have anything else to say about this movie. Palm Pilots! Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a weird scene. Like, yeah. what is... Like, if Karen isn't on it, what is uh, Chloe Seven E doing? More weird mm. thriller <laughs> stuff, I guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> the hand-waving you can do for anything in this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why is it oh. shot like that? Thriller. Thriller <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Just the usual thriller shit. <laughs> Like the cool font that... opening credits reminded me of Trouble Every Day, or a discussion <laughs> nice. of Trouble Every Day with like yeah. mm. old school. I was credits. even thinking. Well, yeah, I was even thinking at one point. I was like, "Oh, is there going to be like a really like weird kind of serious, gross scene where somebody gets killed, like Trouble Every Day?" But then I realized <laughs> there were like forty minutes left in the movie. At that point, I was like, "Damn, this movie's long." But I thought when she attacked Gina Gershon, I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be like that scene at the end of Trouble Every Day where he murders that woman. But then I was <laughs> like, oh, no, it's not that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's especially funny as compared to Trouble Every Day because, like, all of the office buildings are, you know, all far more modern and, like, Web 2.0 and glass and blue and white. and Everything is just, like, yeah. clean. Um. I mean, I guess there's a similar sort of joke, I guess, with, like, the floor of, like, the business. Because, like, they go into the offices, and they're, like, all nice or whatever. And then they go to the floor, and it's just, like, lines of computer monitors with people on phones, like, screaming at each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good old, uh, finance. That, the world that of is, finance. uh, that is people. very accurate. Like, <laughs> Only like the top executives get their own nice offices, and they where they get to like yell at each other with their heart's content, and like um, you know, all the all the usual first in line people like uh, who who've just been there a year or maybe three to four to five years, they get to sit perched right next to each other, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's. It's pretty gross, even though companies have enough money to probably give each and every one of them an office. <laughs> I do work believe, for it. Sorry. I do believe in bureaucracy, though, even though I don't super believe in desensitization. I think hmm. that quote... Uh, I know I posted on my Star Wars Force Awakens review about, like, the death of the world will be like a thousand paper cuts, essentially. Like mm -hmm. the just be people passing forms down yeah. the line, such that no one is technically guilty. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, actually. Have you read uh, Zygmunt Bauman ever? Um, he not not to take this too far out, but like he talks about the Holocaust as like a bureaucratic <laughs> genocide. Yeah. It talks about like he's very like astutely like talks about how no this wasn't like vicious hateful like um, 
evil yeah. demon people doing this. This was regular like Germans passing the buck from one to another, and it's all about like efficiency and production and and things like that. It was not about like uh, like some alien type of hatred that has now been exercised from the world post <laughs> WW two, but it was just. It was like bureaucracy taken to its absolute extreme, and uh, <laughs> I think that's a pretty co like pretty incisive kind of argument mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, I think that's more interesting. I think like I think when people get confronted with like real bad shit, they actually tend to like want to do something or like hope that they can, or at the very least like feel like guilty about the fact that they feel like they can't but then like the more they are separated from it i think it has it is pretty easy for them to like ignore issues right yeah to also yeah. draw this back to like our snowpiercer podcast and how yeah. like that's sort of the movement of that film is that like he starts off as like kind of like a war hero but by the time he gets to the front of the train it's like is he gonna be able to remember the people at the back of the train Oh, right. right. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a similar thing to what I talked about in the Zero Theorem, which is like, uh, I mean, part of the movie's thing is like gamification. So, like, Christoph Waltz just comes to work and he plays a video game, and like, through playing the video game, like, actions are performed far away from him that he have no, like, connection to the game that he's playing, and how, like, sort of scary that is because you could technically do that for anything like have a guy playing like a game of tetris but he's actually controlling like a drone thing that's dropping bombs on yeah, people yeah drones and, are the obvious connection yeah, there yeah, yeah. but that mm -hmm. like you know but that it's like already sort of separated because you're controlling a thing that looks like a video game like the drone operators are but they still mm. see real life but like gamification can yeah. take that even further where like you're not even looking at villages or people or anything just blocks on a screen and putting them in yeah. correct sequences yeah <laughs> fuck you game theory that's what yeah. you that's <laughs> but uh, is, but yeah. i mean but the, then that the idea like the positive part of it or at least the positive part from like a ruthless capitalist perspective is like <laughs> oh people hate work if we can make work like a video game, then they'll be fine with being at work for a lot of time and like more content with their lives. So like how can we turn game oh, like work into a video game so that people yeah. like don't feel their oppression and can like don't have the desire to like not do it. So it's right. pretty unsettling both ways, but yeah. There's an article I read a long time ago. There was basically an argument for how World of Warcraft was like the perfectly designed game, and that it was mm. also like a form of opt-in torture. <laughs> 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 and that it like gives you like enough pleasure to like keep you playing it forever, but that it's never actually genuinely pleasurable. <laughs> um, Basically, the equivalent of like a cheese puff, except for in game form, which is something where you can just keep eating it, but you never feel full, <laughs> but you want to keep eating them forever. <laughs> right. 
If you could just eliminate feeling gross from that, <laughs> then you could just always keep doing that. Just keep eating yeah. cheese puffs until you die. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's what capitalism is really good at developing. Like, it's not really good at developing quality products. It's developing things that are like just good enough to keep you coming back and getting yeah. them over and over and over again. Yeah. It reminds me of a um, line in The Good Place uh, where there's like all these frozen yogurt stands in The Good Place. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's like, why yeah. frozen yogurt? Why not ice cream? And he's like, I like frozen yogurt better. It's very human. It's like you take something great and then just make it slightly worse for some reason. Okay. I could herald that show, by the way, too. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, to herald um, something. I, I, good place. Mike was sure. Good. This is a fun yeah. discussion, Bring it in. but I, uh, I'm going to have to go. Yeah. I have to drive to Anaheim. Yeah. So, uh, All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You guys feel free to continue yeah. the podcast without me. Oh, well, I mean, no, I, I think it's okay. basically <laughs> done. Yeah. yeah. This okay. is a good place to leave it. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you're enjoying it. If so, please subscribe using your podcast listening app and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We appreciate it. And tune in next week for Nostalgia for the Light should be our next podcast after this one, I believe. Uh, yeah. Which is... um, should we still do the one, two, three, by the way? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that's right. We uh, we probably should have said bye first, but yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just realized that while I was saying it, I was like, up, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, bye, bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs>